0: Again, it's very good to be able to be with you folks here in this congregation over this Lord's Day and, Lord willing, the next uh, Lord's Day as well. Uh, We've looked forward to being with you for some time. I think Pastor Gallagher first asked me uh, about coming, I guess it was back in May, April or May, Uh, he had emailed me, I've always enjoyed being able to come and Renew Fellowship with many of you folks here that I've known for some time, Uh, and as I said this morning, it's good to see some new faces here in this congregation as well. And so we trust the Lord will meet with us this evening as we consider his word. I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9. This is going to be this evening a little bit different type of sermon that I would normally preach, I normally tend to uh, exposit just in one particular passage of Scripture, but what we'll be doing tonight is looking at five different passages. Uh, You'll see a common theme. I'll point that out to you in just a moment, but you'll see the common theme in each of these particular verses that we look at, and I trust the Lord will use this to help us this evening and encourage us in the things of the Lord. But Matthew chapter nine, we'll begin our reading in verse number one. Read down through to the end of verse eight, dealing with this story that we're told here of the healing of this man with the palsy. So Matthew nine, beginning in verse one. And he that is speaking of Christ entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Amen. Well, in there at the end of verse 8, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Let's ask his help And then we'll come to consider, as I said, these five different passages here this evening. But let's pray now. Our Father, as we have our Bibles open before us now, we pray for help as we consider the scriptures. I pray for myself that you would help me in speaking to this group of people. Pray that your words would go forth with power and that they would be received indeed as they are the words of truth, not as the words of men. We pray for each one gathered in that we would know help in the inner man in hearing and that the Holy Spirit would apply the words to our own hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This evening, I want to focus your attention on a little phrase that is toward the end of verse number two. Christ said to this paralyzed man, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Even as Christians, we can can face real depression and dark times in our lives. There are some in the Christian community that would deny outright that a Christian can ever suffer from depression. I would take issue with that. I believe the Lord's people can find themselves in the very depths of despair. I think we see it in the scriptures. I think we see it in various cases. I could point your attention just simply to one, the prophet Elijah. He was on top of Mount Carmel. He had a contest between himself and 800 prophets of Baal. And the contest was, who is the real God? Who is the true God? The true God will answer by fire. And you know the story. The prophets of Baal, they do their thing, and they, they jump up and down. They, they cry out, and they even begin to cut themselves with stones. And, and they do all sorts of things, and there's nothing. There's no response from their God. And then Elijah comes, and he very simply prays to the God of heaven, after all the water's been poured and all the stuff, you, you know the story. And the fire comes down and consumes the whole thing. And he takes those prophets of Baal down by the riverside and he, he slays them all. What a victory. Unbelievable victory. And Elijah is convinced that now God has answered. God has come God is going to restore Israel back to faithful worship only for Elijah to receive news from Jezebel and the news from Jezebel is Elijah in 24 hours I'm going to kill you and Elijah runs for his life and he finds himself out in the wilderness he's under a juniper tree and he says Lord I'm no good I'm no better than any of the prophets that have come before me. Just take my life. As a man at the bottom, spiritually, emotionally, he he felt that his entire ministry was up in smoke. His entire ministry, everything that he had tried to do, what he was convinced was the Lord's answer, had come to absolutely nothing, a man in the depths of despair. I think we see it in other places. Uh, I think even in in the case of uh, Peter, a man who went out and he wept bitterly. He had failed. He He had had a moment of testing. He had even been warned. Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. In that moment of testing, he failed. Just recently I was speaking with another young person about the passage in the book of First Peter where Peter says that we as believers are to be always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And I wonder if Peter wrote those words with a tear in his eye. Remembering that opportunity that he had to give an answer for the hope that lies, that lied within him only to, in that situation, confronted not with the spear of a Roman soldier but with just a simple question from a maid servant girl around a campfire and he, he failed. He, he didn't give an answer for the hope that was within him and he went out and wept bitterly It had to be some just depression of heart and soul. And we know the aftermath of that. The Lord meets with Peter and the Lord restores Peter, obviously. But even in that conversation, Peter, do you love me? And and Peter, he's hesitant to be as bold as he had been before. If everybody else forsakes you, I'm going to die for you. He's hesitant to give that firm answer that, that was so characteristic of the way Peter would talk before. And he didn't do it. He says, Lord, I, you, you know I have a, an affection for you. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And, and the Lord raised him back up. And, but we see in various places in Scripture the Lord's servants very discouraged. But yet the Lord would come alongside his believing people And he would say, be of good cheer. In in my mind, this phrase is similar to what we find in so many other places in Scripture where the Lord would say to his servants, fear not. I would encourage you sometime to just take a simple concordance and, and look up those places in the New Testament where Christ tells his people to fear not. And I'll tell you what you'll find. You'll find situations and circumstances that if you had any sense about you at all, you would be scared to death. You would find a situation and a circumstance where it would be very reasonable for you to be afraid. But the Lord, in those circumstances, he says, fear not. You're going to find the same thing in these verses that we look at this evening, When the Lord says, be of good cheer. You're going to find situations and circumstances where the Lord's people would be reasonable to be discouraged. It would be reasonable for the Lord's people to be on the brink, the very edge of giving up and throwing in the towel. But the Lord says, no, be of good cheer. When you and I face circumstances that are so discouraging and so disappointing to us, the Lord would come alongside each of us and not to be flippant and not to be casual, but as it were, put his arm around our shoulder and say, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. So I want to look at five times in the scriptures that the Lord uses this particular phrase. We see the first one here in Matthew chapter nine. And so the point that I would put to you here is that we can be of good cheer because of Christ's pardon. We can be of good cheer because of Christ's pardon. Look at verse two, what it says. It says, son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Here's the reason that he says for this paralyzed man to be of good cheer. This man had been brought to Christ. Eventually he would be healed of his palsy, the physical condition that he had. But pay attention to the order of events. Pay pay attention to what is happening here in the verses before he was healed, before his temporal circumstances changed in any way. This is what Christ said to him. He said, Be of good cheer. This teaches us something very important. We can rejoice in the Lord even before our temporal circumstances change. We can rejoice in the Lord even when the, the temporal circumstances that we find ourselves in in the moment we perceive to be so negative. We perceive to be so hard whether it be family troubles family circumstances whether it be unsaved loved ones that you've prayed for for years whether it be some ongoing long lasting medical condition that you find yourself in yourself or, or a loved one you can rejoice in the Lord even before anything changes, before anything has, has, has been different, the Lord would say, be of good cheer. And the Lord tells this man, be of good cheer because your sins are forgiven. What more could the man want? What better thing could Christ do for this man than forgive his sins? Let me put it to you this way. What good would it have been for this man? palsied man to be brought to Christ and the Lord just simply say to him be healed and the Lord not forgive his sins and the man go into hell walking, running all the way healed of his palsy that would be no good Christ did the better thing Christ forgave this man of his sins If your sins are forgiven, then you're on your way to heaven. The greater miracle was not the physical healing. The greater miracle was the spiritual. Now, we we see in the story, certain of the scribes, they said within themselves, this man is a blasphemer. Only God can forgive sins. They understood. This man was claiming to be God by saying, your sins be forgiven. Now, here's the thing. When Christ said to that sick man, your sins be forgiven you, who could prove that it had taken place? Who could prove that his sins were actually gone? Well, nobody. But you see, Christ, if you will, humbled himself to deal with the ignorance and the superstition that these scribes were so biased with they operated under the assumption that this man had a palsy because of sin we read other passages in scripture you know they asked who sinned this man or his parents that this man was born blind see that was the the regular line of thinking of those That you had this physical malady, it was because of you being in some kind of sin. And so how to prove that the sins were gone, but to take away the physical malady. And so the Lord, as it were, humbles himself to their level and he says, fine, take up your bed and walk. Proving to them that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he, and he did, he, he forgave. This man's sins. And so you can be of good cheer because of the forgiveness of sins, because of Christ's pardon. I just ask the simple question to your own heart tonight Do you know in your own soul the pardon of sin? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? If you can say yes to that, then I can say to you with all the authority of the God of heaven, son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Be of good cheer. The second one, I want you to turn over a few pages in your Bible to Mark chapter 6. We could look at this same story in Matthew, in Mark, and in John. Luke is the only one that doesn't record this next event It's just after the feeding of the 5,000, Mark chapter 6, I point your attention to verse number 45. This is the passage where Jesus walks on the water. And you'll see in just a moment why I point your attention to Mark chapter 6, Mark is the only one that records a little phrase that I'm, I'm going to point out to you in just a moment. But look at Mark 6 verse 45. Here we read in straightway, he that is Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship, to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And so that's the, the 5,000 men and, and the women and children that he, he was dispersing that crowd. Verse 46 And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, The ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and he said unto them, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Here we have... Actually, a combination of these two things. We have the be of good cheer and we have the be not afraid all put together in one verse. And as I mentioned earlier, you look at these different passages and you would find a situation where you would have good reason to be afraid. Here they're out in the middle of the sea. Now, you have to understand, you know, there was Matthew. He, was a, he had been a tax collector. But there was Peter. And Andrew, James, and John, these were four men that had grown up on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, They were very familiar with the waters of that sea. They were very familiar with the different weather patterns that came and went on the Sea of Galilee. No doubt they had found themselves in storms many times in their lives. But this particular time, they thought that it was going down. We see another time uh, a similar thing was happening. This time Christ was in the ship with them. He was asleep in the back. And you remember they cried, carest thou not that we perish? You know, here they're, they're, they're toiling and rowing. The wind was contrary unto them and they see something walking on the water and they think it's a spirit and they don't know what's happening. They, they've never seen anything like this before. And the Lord comes and he says, be of good cheer It is I. And so what I want you to see from these verses is that we can be of good cheer because of Christ's presence. We can be of good cheer because of Christ's presence. The Lord's presence with them was reason enough for them to be of good cheer. It's I, it's me. The Lord is, is revealing himself to them. He's with them. And that little phrase that I want you to see in verse is actually in verse number forty-eight. Matthew and John don't record this little piece of information. It says, "And he saw them toiling and rowing." Now Jesus was up on the mountain; he was praying, and he saw everything that was happening. Jesus is the one who put them in this ship. He constrained, you see in verse number 45, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side. And Jesus did not go with them. He constrained them. He compelled them to go. And so they went. No doubt the Lord knew that the storm was going to come. No doubt the Lord knew exactly what was going to take place in all of these circumstances. And Christ was on the mountain praying. I wonder what he was praying. We're not told. I have a hunch. And I think it doesn't take a lot of spiritual sense. I don't think it's a lot of spiritual gymnastics to come to the conclusion that Christ was praying for his disciples. He knew what was happening to them. He knew what they were facing. He knew what they were going through. And he saw them. And I would submit to you that in that sense, they were never alone. In that sense, the disciples were never alone. Even though Jesus was not physically on the boat with them, he knew everything that was happening to them. He saw them. He saw their difficulty. He saw the toiling and the rowing. He knew and he saw, he understood that the wind was contrary to them. And then the Lord, with his own presence, he came to them in a a miraculous way, in a way that's not explainable by any human means or physics or anything else. He came to them and he said, be of good cheer. It's I. Be not afraid. And the Lord's presence is a reason for us to not be afraid, to not be anxious, to not be worried about what the future may hold. We have the promise that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. We were considering this morning one of the reasons that we have to set our affections on things above is because Christ is interceding for us and we're mindful of that thought that Christ is praying for us, I would submit to you that's exactly what was happening here. His presence was with them in prayer. The third one that I want you to see is over in the book of John. And what we're going to see here is that we can be of good cheer because of Christ's power, because of his power. So John chapter 16, I'd ask you to turn to. Now, there's a larger context here. I'll try to jog your memory. John chapter 13, Christ is in the upper room with his disciples. It's the passage where he washes his disciples' feet. And in John chapter 14, Jesus drops a bombshell of information. He tells these disciples that have been following him for three, three and a half years, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. Now, perhaps the irony of this point is I just told you that you can be of good cheer because of Christ's presence. But now, this next one we're going to look at is right in the aftermath of Jesus explaining to them, I'm leaving. I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And eventually you're going to come and join me in that place. But in the meantime, I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He is going to, in a sense, take my place with you. He is going to be a represent, a, the representative of my presence with you. He is going to guide you lead you, minister to you. And so we come to John chapter 16. This is in, toward the end of this whole sermon that Jesus is preaching to his disciples. Uh, I believe there, he's talking to them as they're walking from that upper room. Eventually, chapter 17, they're gonna get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so it's kind of a traveling sermon. He's walking and having this discourse with them. And so look at John 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken unto you. Now, these things that he's spoken is this whole, this whole bomb of I'm going away. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. These things have I spoken unto you that you might have peace Not that you would be anxious and troubled, but that you would have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so we can be of good cheer because of Christ's power. I've told you the context here is of Christ explaining to his disciples that he was going away He's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to pray. And in just hours, he's going to be arrested. And it would seem, right? It would seem that the world had overcome Christ. To the casual onlooker, as as the events of the next few hours would unfold, when Judas comes with that band of men, and Peter takes the sword and cuts Malchus's ear and, and all the chaos that ensues in that whole thing. And Jesus is arrested and he's taken and, and the disciples disperse and chaos. I don't know what, what other word to use, but the chaos of that moment. A casual onlooker would say, Jesus lost. The world has overcome Jesus. The world has overcome this little band of men. But it's not true. Jesus tells his disciples at the end of that whole discourse, I've told you all this so that you would have peace, so that you're not anxious. It's going to seem as if things have gone terribly wrong, but they've not gone terribly wrong. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He explained to them everything that was going to happen. The disciples didn't understand everything. It's clear from the Gospels, as these Gospel writers, they're the ones that live this, right, except for Luke, but they they live this and they admit as much. we, We didn't get it. We didn't understand everything that was happening. And it wasn't until after the resurrection that, all the pieces of the puzzle began to to come together in their own mind. And the Holy Spirit was doing what Christ said the Holy Spirit would do, guide them into all truth and bring to their remembrance all the things that he had communicated to them. And he says, in this world, you're going to have a lot of trouble. You're going to have a lot of tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. My power is greater. And the same power of Christ that overcame the world has overcome the world. And We serve the same Christ. We have every reason to be cheerful because of the power of Christ. You, you look at the news, you look at social media, you look at the things that are going on bad in this world, whether it be Canada, the United States, or wherever you want to look. And it would be easy. It would be very easy to become very melancholy and to be very discouraged. But there's a sense in which the Lord is saying, don't worry about it. I've overcome all this. He's conquered death and hell. He's overcome the world. His power is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. You know, tribulation, it triggers Job, in my mind anyway, at the end of the book of Job, the Lord asks Job a long series of questions, and he basically, if I just summarize all these questions, he basically asks Job, Where were you when I did all these great things? Where were you? What, what control did you have over any of this? And the answer is none. You know, worrying, being anxious being all torn up inside, doesn't change anything. God is in control of all the circumstances that we face in this life. And so whether it be tribulation, whether it be whatever trouble you find yourself in, be of good cheer. Christ's power has overcome the world. For the fourth one, I want you to turn to the book of Acts. Acts 23. Here we see an event in the life of the apostle Paul Acts 23 Just look at verse number 11 just one verse here Acts 23:11 And the night following the Lord stood by him that is stood by Paul and said Be of good cheer Paul for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem so must thou bear witness also at Rome. What we find here is the apostle Paul in the center of the Lord's will. We find Paul obedient to God's call. We find Paul in the place that the Lord had for him. The Lord was providentially guiding Paul's pathway and the Lord had a very clear plan and purpose for Paul in Jerusalem. That was finished. He was finished with Paul in Jerusalem. We can put it in, in this sense the Lord did not have any more work for Paul in Jerusalem. Paul would never go back to Jerusalem. He was finished. And now there was a new task, there was a new thing for him to do. The Lord now was revealing to Paul a plan. And purpose for him in Rome. And so the point that I would make from this is that we can be of good cheer because of Christ's providence. His providence. The way that he supernaturally leads and guides his people. The Lord was finished using Paul in one place. And was preparing him to be used in Another place. Now the rest of the book of Acts is going to tell us basically the journey of Paul getting from Jerusalem to Rome. And we're going to look next at a shipwreck. But there was nothing that could overturn God's providence. God had a plan and purpose for Paul in Rome. And so it didn't matter what happened. Paul was going to get to Rome because there was a work for him to do there. The Lord revealed to Paul what was next. The Lord reveals to his servants in time what's next. But he doesn't always reveal everything that's next. I put it to you this way, if the Lord revealed to you what you would be doing five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, there's a high chance you would revolt against that plan and purpose. I did my internship with Reverend Gallagher in Cloverdale in 2004 and 2005 a little bit into six. We were there for 20 months in, in Cloverdale in Vancouver. And what I felt the Lord's burden for me next was to go to the city of Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and start a free Presbyterian church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I felt that to be the Lord's call and the next step in, in gospel ministry. I never in a million years had any anticipation of living in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Now, a little bit of history that you wouldn't know, in 1999, I did an internship in Winston-Salem when I was still an undergraduate student at Bob Jones University. I was familiar with that congregation. It's where I met Lydia. Lydia grew up in that congregation, my wife. She grew up in that congregation. That congregation's very first Sunday service was in her parents' living room. The church was, you know, for all practical purposes, born in her father's living room. And then they met in another building and, you know, the church has grown from there. But I I never dreamed of going back. Lydia never dreamed of going back to her home church. Never saw that coming. But the Lord had a ministry for us in Atlanta. We were in Atlanta for about six years. And we labored there seeking to start a church. And it I don't know how else to explain it other than it just never got off the ground. It, It just never materialized the last year that we were there i was preaching to one family and that one family lived an hour away now you can't likely build a church on one family that lives an hour away from where your building is and so we made some adjustments and 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 even moved the church To the city where that family was, and and basically tried to start over. But in kind of a similar circumstance, here, I knew, I knew in my own heart, my ministry in Georgia was finished. I I was done there. But what next? What next? Confusing, obviously, but what next? But I look back on that time in Georgia. My two oldest sons point their conversion to that time in Georgia. There were scores and scores of Sunday nights that I preached to my own family. They were the only ones that showed up because I drove them there. Nobody else came. It was an empty building and it was my family. And they sat on the front row and I preached my sermon to them. Is that a waste? No. It wasn't until after we, well, it was about two weeks before we left. A friend that Lydia had met through a library story time, just kids sitting on the floor and somebody at the library reading a library book to them. And Lydia befriended a lady. A lady that to look at her would be someone that you know, let's just be honest, some of you would some of me would not talk to. We would avoid. I had a child of a similar age and they had gone to the park a few times, had just really what amounted to a casual acquaintance kind of friendship. But as we met to, you know, say goodbye to her and to tell her, hey, we're, you know, we're moving, she in tears told us of the influence that Lydia had had on her And she had come to faith in Christ and started going to church, to another church. She never came to our church. We had no idea that she had been impacted in such a way. The Lord had a purpose. This is what I'm trying to communicate. The Lord had a sovereign providential purpose for the time and for the ministry. And then the Lord, in his own providence, said, okay, it's time to do a new thing. And he communicated that to Paul. I have a ministry for you here, and I have a ministry now for you in another place. Paul, be of good cheer. You know, I, for the longest time, actually for several years, I viewed what had happened in Georgia for my ministry as a failure. I failed. I tried to start a church. I didn't start a church. I failed. Until I came to understand it from this right perspective. Be of good cheer. The Lord leads his servants. The Lord takes his people from one place to another place. I had a ministry for you here, and now I've got a ministry for you someplace else. Be of good cheer. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. And we can be of good cheer knowing that the Lord leads his servants along. He leads his dear children along. And that brings us to one last one. Turn over to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27. This is shipwreck that I mentioned just a moment ago. Look at verse 22, Acts 27, 22. And now I exhort you, this is the Apostle Paul speaking now. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, fear not, Paul, Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And what I put before you here is that we can be of good cheer because of Christ's promises. Because of his promises. Again, the context here is Paul's journey to Rome. God had already told him, Paul, I'm finished with you in Jerusalem. I have a ministry for you now in Rome. There was this terrible storm at sea. The people were in fear of their lives. They all thought they were going to die. Be it, the Lord, by his angel, came to Paul, revealed to Paul, Paul, you're not going to die. And in fact, nobody on the ship is going to die. I'm I'm going to spare everyone here. The ship will be lost, but no human lives will be lost. And Paul tells the people, this is what God said to me. This is the promise of God. I believe the promise of God. And I'm communicating that promise to you. Nobody's going to be lost. Be of good cheer. God's promise is going to come to pass. Regardless of what it seems like in the world, regardless of what the storm seems like, regardless of what the captain thinks, regardless of what you think is happening to the ship, God has said none of us are going to die. Be of good cheer. I believe God. Paul already knew he was going to Rome. The Lord had used him. The Lord was still going to use him. And he was a man that believed God's promise. And he was a man who was willing to communicate that promise in faith to anybody that pay attention, anybody that would listen. And we can take cheer in the fact that God always keeps his promises. If you pay attention to the noise around you, to the voices that are out there, as I've hinted at and said already several times, if you've got any sense at all, you'd be scared to death. You'd be discouraged, be afraid, you'd be depressed. Sin's depressing. The consequences of sin are depressing. Be it God has called us as believers to look away from these things and to look to him instead. And as we look to him, we can be of good cheer. We can be of good cheer. He is able to do for us and to provide for us all that we need. And we can find ourselves very safe in the arms of Jesus and safe in his tender care. Amen. Let's take our hymn books and close in a hymn. I want us to take number 427 in our hymn book, number 427. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. I'll ask you to stand and sing with me. We're going to do something maybe a little bit different for you. We're going to sing the first stanza all the way through with the refrain. And then the second, third, and fourth stanzas, we'll just sing the stanzas without the refrain And we'll only sing the refrain again at the end of the very last stanza. So let's stand together, please, as we close.